Hello, everyone. My name is Mariah Muhammad. I am a writer for Becca's Healthcare. Joining me today is Dr. Kevin Paza. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining me today. Well, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. So the first question I have for you is, can you please tell us a little bit more about your background? Well, uh, yes, Mariah. My, my background, uh, it provides um, an it's a well-balanced background, so it provides a balanced, pure, and an honest perspective. Um, because I understand the spine surgeon's perspective, um, I began my professional career in the Division of Neurosurgery at Penn State when I was uh, 15. Um, and then after that, I ultimately uh, was uh, in a practice at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, UPenn, that focused on treating failed spine surgery patients. Uh, and so, again, I saw that surgical perspective. And, um, and then ultimately, I um, developed and I uh, co-founded and co-owned the Texas Spine and Joint Hospital, which is an excellent uh, spine surgical hospital that's uh, now part of the uh, Bell or uh, Scott and White system. And so uh, uh, that led me in towards recognizing the strengths of spine surgery and also the weaknesses uh, uh, directing me towards uh, ways of uh, treating the spine that are much you know, better for patients uh, and uh, in the directions of biologics and other minimally invasive treatments. Yeah. So the next question I have is, what are you most excited about right now in your career field? Well, one of the things I think that's exciting for everyone is that um, we're there, especially um, because there's many intellectually honest spine surgeons and physicians who really want to help their patients. They recognize that it's in the patient's best interest to uh, take these major surgeries out of the hospital systems whenever possible and uh, perform them in ways that are minimally invasive uh, to do them in the outpatient ambulatory surgery setting. And that never happened before because uh, when my career began, it seemed that the focus was on performing big procedures in the hospital. And, um, and we recognize now that that's just not the best way to do things for patients. So, and so that's leading towards um, uh, ambulatory surgery centers being, um, uh, being more of the focus, as they should have always been, in my opinion, and um, on, uh, on helping patients in, in ways other than with fusions. Uh, it's recognized now that um, uh, they say 98% of the surgeons performing fusions would never have a fusion on themselves. And I'm glad that that's out there for the public to see uh, because that uh, creates a real strong need, a void that needs to be filled by, by myself and others, uh, other doctors who can help these patients uh, uh, so that the futures are better, so that people stay younger when they're older. Uh, and, and we're doing that through biologics and minimally invasive procedures performed in the ASC settings. Now, you know, more than ever before. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, changing for the times and seeing it through the patient's eyes is also very important. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, you were able to be a part of that. Um, on the flip side of excitement, what is making you nervous right now in your field? Well, one of the things that makes me nervous, I, I think, should concern, like, every patient and, and physician and it goes back to a question you just asked about my background, and that is that um, so my focus at UPenn was in treating failed spine surgery patients. And then I recognized that it took over a year to get in to see me. And the, the irony was that the majority of these patients came from the top surgeons, surgeons that were considered the top in the field. Uh, they're actually the surgeons that wrote the spine textbooks that most 
spine surgeons study from, if not all spine surgeons study from. And so the surgeries were technical successes, uh, but the patient's results were miserable failures. And I saw that day after day. Um, and so anyway, that makes me nervous that uh, th those that are writing the books and dictating policies um, uh, can technically perform procedures, but they're surgical procedures, uh, but they have to look at the long term. You know, what are we doing to patients long term? And so uh, it uh, makes me nervous. Um, that's one thing, the fact that our teachers, um, you know, have an old construct or an old paradigm, if you will. Um, and then another thing that actually bears mention, and that's the fact that minimally invasive surgery is a double-edged sword. And here's what I mean by that. We, we all love the fact that um, a procedure can be performed and the patient can uh, go home that same day, uh, typically. And, and that's wonderful. It, it saves uh, it, it tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous benefits for the patients all around and the healthcare system. But here's the concern uh, that let's just face it, a minimally invasive surgical procedure still ends up with the same long-term result. And that means that if it's a fusion, it fuses a segment of the spine. It still immobilizes that segment, and that's detrimental to the adjacent discs. Everyone knows that now. It's in the research. It's uh, you know, very well understood. Uh, so that makes me nervous. As they um, promote more and more minimally invasive procedures, the patients may be, uh, may be misled, and they may go towards minimally invasive procedures, um, not recognizing the long-term ramifications. We need to be concerned about um, what we're doing to the discs. If we easily remove a disc, it's going to lead towards its breakdown. We already know that through the research, but uh, patients only look at the out of the hospital in the same day aspect of it. Um, and so we have to be careful about those kinds of things that make me nervous. Two things, that was the, you know, the whole paradigm uh, being focused on the fusions and discectomies, which may be detrimental. And then secondly, the fact that patients are more willing to undergo those, uh, those detrimental things to the spine uh, if they believe that the procedure itself is benign and minimally invasive. Indeed, it's minimally invasive but I'm more focused at the patient's long-term at uh, five years and 10 years down the road, not just the today results. Yeah, your nervousness is very understandable and medicine and medical practices are always changing. Um, so the, the next question with mm -hmm. that that I have to ask is, how are you thinking about growth in the next two years? Well, that's a really good question. And the growth in the next, next few years, it's almost being driven by patients more so than the past. And what I mean by that is um, historically, it's the spine fusion uh, industry, I'll call it an industry, uh, has lobbyists. And I know because I was one of the principals of one of the uh, more successful uh, artificial disc uh, implants. And so it was industry driven, but now patients are recognizing, hey, that's not best for me. So growth in the next few years, I think it's in patients recognizing and being their own advocates and doctors being forced to respond to this patient. It's uh, recognizing that, hey, we need the correct diagnosis. And one of the things that we're focused on is recognizing that the old ways of diagnosing spine issues, such as MRIs, even discography, is not adequate because it never led towards successful outcomes. And so things that will change. The way of diagnosing the exact source is improving now. We can now identify precise annular tears 
um, in publications that uh, will be out soon talking about aneurysms, something that's common sense but foreign to most doctors to identify disc pathology before treating it and then treating it uh, and preferably in a minimally invasive biologic way that doesn't cause harm. And, um, and so one of the areas of growth is going to be the evidence-based biologic treatments of the spine. And that goes along with my other concern. Uh, we do have uh, treatments now that are clearly uh, supported in the literature uh, to treat degenerative disc disease using fibrin in the disc seal procedure. There's been years of research done independently, so that's one of my areas of focus. But at the same time, um, there's other biologics out there that could mislead people because it's not research. So a key thing is, I believe there's going to be a lot of growth in the future um, as there's a recognized benefit, a scientifically proven benefit for a few specific biologics to treat degenerative disc disease and radiculopathy known as sciatica. And so those biologics are proven and the results are coming out more and more through the research. Uh, and, but the other biologics that uh, really are also growing at a rampant rate are not being researched. So it's best for the physicians and patients to look at the research that's behind uh, the, the biologic growth. And so I believe that the greatest growth in, in spine with certainty is the biologic. I don't think anyone um, can discount uh, that because it, it makes sense. It's logical, um, especially considering that um, the majority of the spine surgeons would never undergo fusions themselves. And, um, and so the growth is going to be in the biologics, uh, but it must be an evidence-based uh, biologics that are uh, supported by the research. And I think that's going to benefit patients and, and, um, and then make benefits uh, not just to the patients, but to society as a whole, because uh, obviously chronic low back pain is um, still considered the number one disability, even with uh, COVID. Uh, the World Health Organization still considers chronic low back pain the number one uh, disability and we're trying to change that through biologics, educating patients and physicians to avoid fusions when they're not necessary um, for the overall benefit of patients. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent answers. I think you've made many valid points here. Um, and, but thank you so much for joining me to answer these questions, Dr. Plaza. Great. Well, thank you very much. It was nice talking with you.